Montana, to me, isn't that hard to scheme against. And I'll be flying solo the whole time, which is to say the middle of the conference and the bottom of the conference are quite close. Uh, Nate Sherwood would have radically adjusted the way the Idaho front court looks. This team is the class of the conference. This team is the best hope for the Big Sky to win an NCAA tournament game. Welcome to Tubs of the Club, the official unofficial podcast of your University of Idaho Vandals. I'm your host for this episode, Brian, and I'll be flying solo the whole time. You can find Tubs of the Club on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and also tubsoftheclub.com. You can also check us out on Twitter at Tubs at the Club. It's been a while since our last basketball update, and throughout this episode, I'm going to get us caught up to date on how the Vandals finished non-conference play and how we started Big Sky play, then preview our game on Saturday, January 19th at home in the Cowan Spectrum against the tied for first place in the Big Sky University of, of Montana Grizzlies. Now to give us a layout of what the Big Sky looked like heading into our conference opener, I wrote an article over at MontanaMint.com, which I highly recommend reading previewing how the conference looked based on a combination of non-conference record, non-conference strength of schedule, Ken Palm rankings, and NCAA net ranking. The NCAA net ranking is now used to replace the RPI rating, which is just another analytic metric that combines in-game performance with strength schedule. Now, I divided the 11-team Big Sky Conference into tiers. Idaho made the bottom tier, and our bottom tier overall was NAU, Northern Arizona, at number 11, Idaho at number 10, Montana State at number 9, and Eastern Washington at number 8. In the middle tier, and these are the teams who looked like they could be okay, but certainly didn't look great. We had Portland State at 7, Sacramento State at 6, Idaho State at 5, Southern Utah at 4. And now our top tier, these are the only three teams that I believed had a prayer of contending for the Big Sky Championship. We had Northern Colorado at 3, Weber State at 2, and the University of Montana in that familiar place for basketball and in the past for football at number one. Now, Idaho made the bottom tier by finishing non-conference play three and eight overall, but for what I think fans should care, we were one and seven in division one games, our one division one win coming at North Dakota. Now we're by far the youngest team in the conference. We're not the only team in the conference that's young. Northern Arizona is pretty young too. Most of their contributors are sophomores. They've got a couple juniors. Uh, but Northern Arizona is the other team that stands out for being young. Idaho is significantly younger than Northern Arizona. That's a theme you've heard throughout our podcast before. You're going to hear it repeated, and I don't mean that as an excuse. I'm going to operationalize that later in the podcast. But it's important for us to understand, we are quite young. Our team also, through non-conference play, we weren't able to have a single guy in our first eight Division One games stand out as a difference maker. Our top two scorers were Trayvon Allen, Jr., and Cameron Tyson, freshman. Both of them played up and down, at times looking great, and at times uh, looking like guys who need someone else to step up. They both averaged about 13.5 points per game, and that was in line with the offense as a whole, which had been relatively inconsistent. In our eight Division I games, four times we had an offensive rating. Offensive rating is an analytic metric that it's quite simple to understand. It's your points per 100 possessions. Generally speaking, 
An offensive rating of above 100 is considered good. Below 100 is not good. Four times we had an offensive rating at or above 100. And four times we had an offensive rating below 100. And most of the times when we were below 100, we were significantly below 100, as in like around 80. Which means if you're scoring 80 points per 100 possessions, our team averages about 70 to 74 possessions per game. That means your offense isn't looking that good. Now, we mixed an inconsistent offense with a just consistently bad defense. Our defensive rating in those eight games, now defensive rating is the inverse of offensive rating. It's the points allowed per 100 possession. And again, 100 is kind of the threshold for being maybe okay. If your defensive rating is below 100, which is to say team score would score less than 100 points per 100 possessions against you, that means you might be okay to good if teams are get it, are scoring more than 100 points per 100 possessions against you means your defense is not very good. We had a total of one game with a defensive rating better than 100. That came in our 67-54 win over North Dakota. And in our other seven Division I games, we finished all those with defensive ratings above 100. Six of those games, the rating was 109 or higher. 109 is a very bad defensive rating. As a reference point, against a significantly stronger non-conference schedule. The University of Montana, now they're the, they were the team heading into conference play that looked like they had a class of the conference. They've had a defensive rating of 97 or lower in five of their nine Division I non-conference games and an offensive rating of 100 or higher in all but two of their Division I non-conference games. Now, that's not to say that University of Montana is you know, the best in the nation or anything, because they're not. But relative to what Idaho needs to aspire to, Montana's a good reference point. And against tougher teams, including the University of Arizona, uh, Montana was able to be more efficient both on offense and on defense than us, which shouldn't surprise you. They finished higher in my Big Sky preseason rankings. But uh, it's helpful to have some metrics to look at. Now, we opened Big Sky play in late December shorthanded. Heading into the Idaho State game, we learned that forward Markel Frazier, he was our other junior, he'd been averaging 9.6 points a game at 6.5 rebounds, 3.1 assists. We learned he was out for the year with a hip surgery. Now, I don't know if he's going to qualify for a medical redshirt. We're going to find that out later on. It certainly seems like it could be on the table, which could be good news for us. Uh, but with him gone, our team is now down to Trayvon Allen's a junior, no one else who plays, no one else who can play is an upperclassman. Everyone's a freshman or sophomore. We were further shorthanded by Trayvon Allen being sick headed and in, heading into that game. He hadn't practiced all week. And Scott Blakeney, our starting center, was on the bench with an ankle injury. And the Bengals took advantage of us being shorthanded. They won 70, 72 to 55 in front of a relatively empty Cowan spectrum. But of course, it was Christmas break. So what else do we expect? Um, Trayvon Allen did end up playing in the game, but he played exactly like like you'd expect someone who hadn't practiced in a week to play. Cameron Tyson was our lone bright spot. He finished with 19 points. No other Vandals scoring double digits, and the team as a whole shot 33% from the field, which is how you score 55 points in a 40-minute college basketball game. Our next game, we hosted Weber State, one of the top three teams in the conference, and Weber State started out hot. They led by more than 20 points at the half. We came back, shot over 60% in the second half, 70% from three in the second half. 
made the game respectable, losing by six, 87 to 93. Trayvon Allen scored 24 points. And in a reserve role, Cameron Tyson scored 27. Now that reserve role didn't stand. Verlin's been, been having to yank around our starting lineups. I'll probably get into that later in the podcast. Cameron Tyson's not coming off the bench anymore. But anyway, in his reserve role, scored 27 points, hit six threes. And uh, freshman Jared Rodriguez put up 19 in that game as well. And just as we've been talking about through most of the podcast, that game against Weber State is where Idaho showed some promise. We had an offensive rating of 124 through that game. That's an incredible number. But our defensive rating was 132. I will be floored if in any game we play from now until the end of the year, Idaho sees any team. I'm counting us in that, and I'm counting our opposition. If we see a defensive rating of 132 or worse, I'm going to be shocked. Um, that was a particularly bad night against Weber State because we were hot in the second half. You just can't shoot 60% and a half, 70% from three and come away with a loss. But when you give up easy points like we've been doing, and that's what happens. Our next game was at home against Eastern Washington. We continued our hot shooting from the second half against Weber State. We built a 20-point lead at halftime, then barely held on for a 74-71 win. Eastern actually had, had a three at the end of the game they missed that could have pushed the game to overtime. Trayvon Allen led us that game with 25 points. Chance Garvin had a career-high 11 points. Chance scored seven points all year last year. So him getting 11 points in a game, A, I'm not expecting that to happen very much throughout this year. I don't think other people should. But hey, kudos to him for having a big game. Cameron Tyson chipped in 10 as well. Next, we played at Greeley, Colorado against Northern Colorado. Again, we were playing one of the top three teams in conference. At the time, Northern Colorado's undefeated. We kept it close. Now, that Saturday was an odd Big Sky Saturday. Number one, Montana lost to Portland State at home in overtime. Number two, Weber State lost in overtime to Southern Utah. Northern Colorado really tried to make it all three of the top teams losing that Saturday at home. But we came up just short. And I say we came up just short because the end of regulation, we missed free throws and had some good looks that would have sealed the game. We just couldn't convert. So we lost in overtime by four, 79-83. Jared Rodriguez led the way with 20 points and 11 rebounds that day, doing most of his damage in the first half. Trayvon Allen added 14 points. Cam Tyson scored 13. Now at that point, we're two weeks into Big Sky play. Idaho sits at 4-11, and 1-3 and in conference. And my readjusted Montana mint rankings were in the bottom tier. At number 11, we had Sacramento State. They were 0-3. And they were in last place in conference to me in terms of ranking because they had a bottom two offense and a bottom two defense. At the time, their average margin of defeat was more than 16 points. At number 10, Southern Utah, who's 1-3. Southern Utah is a bit of a sad story. Going into the year, they had probably the most physically talented player in the entire conference, Dwayne Morgan. He was a transfer from UNLV. Um, he played in the first three games, looked great, was showing an outside shot, shooting 37.5% from three on four threes per game. The year before, he didn't, he didn't even take one and a half threes per game because he was a limited shooter. It looked like he'd turned the corner there. Then he just vanished. There's no news on him for a couple weeks. Turns out he had a, a season-ending injury to his shoulder. He, he, just like Markel Frazier, may be eligible for medical redshirt. I don't know if he's going to pursue that route. We'll see. But anyway, 
Southern Utah looked promising at the start of the year with him playing those first three games. They were three and zero. Since then, up to the point where I did my I redid my power rankings, they won three games, lost lost seven. They're one and three in conference. It looks like their year is essentially over with their best player being out. At nine, we had Eastern Washington, another one and three team. They had a win over Idaho State at home at that point, but overall they're looking weak. They had a forward playing at all big sky level, junior Mason Peatling averaging 19 points a game, seven rebounds a game. But the rest of the team is shooting a combined 36 points a game. Their best player just wasn't getting any help. That's why they're in the bottom tier. At eight was us, also at one and three. Now, glass half full. We're one and three, and half our games we played two of the best three teams in conference, and we kept it close against Weber State and Northern Colorado. Uh, glass half empty. We shot 50% from the field in three of our first four games and only had one win. That's a problem for us. Now, mid-tier, we had Portland State. They were one and two, but their one win was an overtime win at Montana. Number six was Northern Arizona. They were two and two, but had wins against fellow OK teams, Montana State and Idaho State. At five, we had Idaho State. They were two and two, but both their losses, you'd consider them to be bad losses for them relative to their expectations heading in, losing at Eastern. Washington and against Northern Arizona at number four at either the top of the okay bracket or the bottom of the good bracket. We had Montana state. They were three and one. They really turned it around from their ugly non-conference where their top two players, the guards, Harold Frey and Tyler Hall, you know, they're a guard centric team and in non-conference play, their two top guards combined to shoot 27 times a game and hit 38%. That's why they looked as ugly as they did. Well, big sky play starts. They shoot about 26 combined shots per game. They're hitting 48%. That's a huge shift, and that's why Montana State is suddenly on that border of, hey, maybe they're good. And in our unquestioned top tier, we have Weber State number three. They're 3-1, three and one. should be 4-0, and oh, but they lost a home game in overtime against Southern Utah. Number two, we had Northern Colorado. They're 4-0. and oh. They have a player of the year candidate in Jordan Davis, and they also have a newcomer of the year candidate in Bodie Hume. He's a freshman. But really, they don't have anyone else contributing regularly. That was why at the time they were undefeated, but I did not have them at number one. And at the top of the conference is Montana. They had one loss against Portland State in overtime, but they had to play just awful for the Vikings to get them to overtime. Otherwise, they just look steady. Now that takes us to our last conference game, which was on Thursday, January 10th. Idaho hosted Montana State. Like I said, Montana State had been looking pretty good since conference play started. We kept the game within striking distance, but couldn't come away with a win. We lost 67-77, to 77, which put us at 1-4 in conference and 4-12 and overall. Now, the bright spot we had in the loss to Montana State is... Trayvon Allen again scored over 20 points. He had, he had 23 overall on 17 shot attempts as well as four assists. Raekwondis Mitchell probably had his best game of the year, scored 15 points. I'll get into his progress later as well. And Cameron Tyson chipped in 11. Uh, but the downside is, you know, the guard combination of Harold Frey and Tyler Hall scored 39 points on 31 shots. Um, and that's with Tyler Hall having a pretty rough shooting game at 8-20. The, the rest of their team played pretty well. You know, we kept it relatively close within striking distance, but lost by 10 points. That's what brings us to where we are now, where we will host University of Montana in Moscow 
on Saturday, January 19th. Now, in terms of where we are as a whole, the University of Northern Colorado leads the Big Sky Conference right now. Their record's 5-1. and one. Weber State's in second place at 4-1, and one, half game back. Both Montana and Montana State are 4-2. and two. Idaho State's 3-2. and two. University of Idaho right now is in 10th place or second to last at 1-4. Sacramento State's in last place at 0-4. But we could jump from 10th place to 6th place in conference with just one more win, which is to say the middle of the conference and the bottom of the conference are quite close in terms of how those teams are playing. And really that order of the middle and bottom of the conference can completely reshuffle based off of one game. Now, overall, the picture for Idaho, it's not that pretty. We have not had a single Big Sky game. And I'm going to focus on Big Sky games because the non-conference schedules between the teams are so vastly different when you compare, let's say, Eastern Washington. They had, depending on what method you use, they had the 29th hardest schedule in the nation. Um, it's hard to compare them with us and then to compare us with Montana. Montana played a ton of NCAA tournament quality teams, but they only played one Power 5 team, whereas Eastern played multiple Power 5 teams. So I'm only talking right now about, about conference games. But in Big Sky play, Idaho does not have a single game with a defensive rating below 104, which is quite bad. Uh, in terms of points per game, we have the number nine defense in the conference or the third worst defense in the conference where we give up 79.2 points a game. A big problem for us, we've talked about this in the podcast before, is we give up a ton of points off, off of turnovers that we don't make up on the other end. We give up tons of points in the paint, which is not just post players dominate, dominating us because the Big Sky is not really a post-oriented league. Now, we, we do get beat by teams down low because we have really no depth at the post and wing positions. Um, so that is a place where at times we get beat. But I'm more concerned in us giving up points in the paint via drives. For example, against Northern Colorado, Jordan Davis had probably six or seven lay in stride layup attempts. Now, part of that is him just being good. Part of that is Northern Colorado has an offense where what looks like a drive by Davis is actually a set play where he, where he will run his man through two back screens. And because he's fast, if the defense doesn't adjust well, he gets a layup. But anyway, we give up a decent amount of shots close to the basket, both from posts, who are just big and through second chance points, or from guards who can get into the paint without much difficulty. And on average, and this was present in the Montana State game when the game was close, and then the back-breaking shot was Tyler Hall, the guy who's going to break the Big Sky record for career points, getting a wide open three off of a single swing pass, teams do not struggle against the Idaho defense to get the shots they want. For example, Eastern Washington, the game we won by three. If you ask Shantae Leggins, their head coach, what they should have changed about their game plan offensively, my guess is he would have said change nothing. The team made shots in the second half. They got the shots they wanted essentially all game against us. And that's been present both through non-conference and during conference play. In addition to those clear defensive struggles, we have the third worst rebounding margin in the conference at negative 4.2. As a reference point, Weber State has the top rebounding margin in conference at plus 6.8, which means there's a 11 rebound gap between a team like us and the top of the conference per game. That's a lot of potential points that we surrender on that end. 
we also, and this is to me by far the most concerning, um, it's not just our play that is not great on the defensive end. Our defense is atrocious. It's that the enthusiasm that this basketball team is generating really doesn't exist. We have the third worst average home attendance right now in conference where we're averaging 817 people per game at home. The only teams lower than us are Sacramento State and Northern Arizona. They're both averaging less than 700 per game. But those two teams have also been bad for a while. Northern Arizona in the last three years has won less than, going into this year, they had won less than 20 games over three years. They have built a lack of enthusiasm by losing. Sacramento State has never won, and they have never hosted a Big Sky Conference tournament. Now, teams don't host the Big Sky Conference tur tournament anymore. That's a relatively new shift. But Sacramento State has a tradition of losing. That's why those schools do not get people to go to games. Idaho's coming off Don Verlin's best season, and we are averaging 817 people per game. Now, that's going to improve a little bit, of course, because a lot of our home games took place during Christmas break. But as a reference point, first, everyone had a ton of home games take place during Christmas, Christmas break. So we are not an outlier. But at the top of the conference, Montana, with no home games yet during school, during um, the winter semester, or during, during the spring semester, Montana averages 4,164 people per game. Weber State, in the exact same context where most of their games took place when students were away, Weber averages 6,286 people per game. They average those because they have a tradition of winning that they are maintaining this year. Those are two of the top three teams in the conference this year, and they are being rewarded by having fans go because fans know they're going to see something fun. And Idaho is not doing that right now. Now, the the offensive end for us is a little better, but it's not that great. We're tied for seventh in the league in points per game at 72.4 points per game. You could also say we are the fourth worst offense. We have the, we average the second fewest number of assists per game at 11.4 assists per game. We have the third worst turnover margin in the league at negative 1.8 per game. In terms of field goal percentage, we're in the middle of the pack. Now we lead the league in a three-point field goal percentage, but part of that is because we take the third fewest number of threes, which, you know, glass half full, it means we're, we're mostly taking good threes in conference. But I wouldn't read us shooting a high three-point percentage as something that's pervasive about how we play because mostly it's that we don't shoot that many threes. Now, in spite of that picture where we have just a flooringly bad defense, and a not great offense. I really do think there are some bright spots that we should look at. And I don't mean that um, to be artificially positive. I watch these games. I can tell that the team has some talent, which is different than, let's say, Sacramento State, which has an upperclassman heavy roster and doesn't have a single conference win. We have young guys who can be pretty good. And there is reason to believe that even this season, some of that's going, some of our results during the game and our results in the win-loss column will improve. And the first reason is because at this point in conference, we have only played one conference opponent who is in a rebounding year like us, Eastern Washington. We won that game. 
Otherwise, we have only played teams that believe they should finish in the top four to five in the conference. We still have two games against Southern Utah, Sacramento State, Northern Arizona, and Portland State. All of those are winnable games, both the home game and the road game. And we also still have another game against Eastern Washington. Now, do I expect us to win all nine of those games? No, but those are nine games that Vandal fans should feel good about us walking into that game, no question. Now, in terms of how do we turn those bright spots in terms of having an easier schedule, and how do we, how does, what's the path for our team um, to winning more games, getting more fans in the arena? Um, in, the, in a big picture sense, it's going to be pretty dang hard for our defense to be worse than it's been. Now, poor defense is often a feature of young teams, but based on watching our guys play, it isn't clear whether this collection of athletes has a ceiling of being a top defensive team like the University of Montana, which means to me, the route for Idaho being good, or at least being okay this year, and competing for top third in the league next year, our route is to have a strong offense and a salvageable defense, which by the way, that route, there is precedent for that. Weber State is in second place in conference. They're a half game behind Northern Colorado. Mainly they're in second place because they've just played one fewer conference game than Northern Colorado. Weber State's running that model right now where they have a great offense and uh, not particularly great defense, but they score enough to, to overcome the defensive struggles. Now, it would help for our team to play at a faster pace, but with our defense struggling the way it is and with us getting out-rebounded the way we are, it's hard to have a fast-paced offense when the other team scores all the time and when you're not rebounding. But the hope for our team this year and through next year, it starts in a lot of ways with our one junior playing, Trayvon Allen. Now, as a freshman, Trayvon Allen averaged five points a game and shot 33% from the field. As a sophomore, he averaged four points a game, shot 37% from the field. This year in conference play, he's averaging 18.6 points a game and shooting 56% from the field. That puts him as the number five scorer in the entire conference through conference play. And he's shooting the ninth best from the field and of guards he's shooting the best. All the other eight guys who are shooting a better field goal percentage than him are posts, which is to say he is playing for him incredible, especially when we consider that in non-conference play, you know, he averaged 13.6 points per game in non-conference. He was shooting about 25% from three, shooting almost six threes per game. His numbers have gone up across the board. Now the biggest change, and this is one I'm just ecstatic about, is he's shooting about half as many threes per game now than he was during non-conference play. And most of his threes now are catch and shoot. Now, as a freshman and sophomore, he shot a serviceable 33 to 35% from threes. But you got to keep in mind, those were wide open threes relative to the shots he's taking this year because he was considered option number four to five. Every minute he played as a freshman and sophomore, he was getting almost no defensive attention from the opposing team's head coach. That's That was being thrust upon Victor Sanders and guys like B.J. Blake. So that's how Allen shot a relatively okay three-point percentage last year. He's not a great three-shooter overall. He's shooting a little bit over 
on threes in conference, but uh, part of it is he's just not shooting that many, which again, that is great news. If you're a serviceable three-point shooter like Trayvon Allen, the recipe there is to take fewer threes and to take catch-and-shoot threes. He's mostly eliminated taking three-pointers off the dribble. I'm going to guess that is partially uh, strategic. That is probably coming from Coach Verlin and his staff going over tape and going over stats and just finally getting to him and letting him know that the threes he thinks are good shots are not the good shots he appears to think. I'm, I'm not trying to think for the coaches or get in their head. It's just a huge shift from non-conference to conference play, and it's great news. Now, there are some caveats I'd keep in mind uh, when going over Trayvon Allen's play. 18.6 points a game is great. His game is mid-range heavy. Uh, so the good news is he's a shot creator. He doesn't need plays run to be able to get pretty good shots. Um, he's been doing that through conference play, and he's been doing it. Again, he's shooting 56% from the field. That is quite efficient. Because his game is mid-range oriented, which means he doesn't take and make a lot of threes, Most of, almost none of his drives have him getting all the way to the rim and shooting in-stride layups. He doesn't get to the free throw line to get easy points, and he doesn't get extra points for making threes. So for him to continue to, to be efficient like he has been, he's going to have to shoot between 56 and 60% on his two-point shots. Um, otherwise, uh, he's his numbers are going to nosedive, or he's going to have good points per game totals, but you're going to see that he's averaging about as many shots per game as points per game if he doesn't keep his field goal percentage up at the just astronomical rate it's at. I'm concerned that he's going to be able to, to shoot 56% from the field at volume throughout the year, but at this point, He's been doing it in conference. He deserves credit. He's looking like an all-conference. I'd probably put him at second or third team all-conference right now. But he's looking like an all-conference player if he can keep this up. The other big bright spot for us, it's been a bright spot almost all year, is Cameron Tyson. In conference, he's averaging 16 points a game, shooting 46% from the field, including 39.5% from behind the three-point line on 7.6 three-point attempts per game. That puts him at the number 12 score in conference. And he's also starting to show a little bit of an off-the-dribble game that he did not have at all to start the year off. Now, his off-the-dribble game doesn't have him getting to the rim for in-stride layups, but he is showing the ability to get into the paint and get some easier shots. And even though he is not a shot creator, he has a much lower usage rate than Trayvon Allen, which is to say the ball's in his hand much less than it is in Trayvon Allen's hand. He's averaging more free throws per game than Trayvon Allen is. And that's as a freshman who looks like he doesn't really have an off, much of an off-the-dribble game. Now, his three-point field goal percentage is down in conference compared to non-conference. But if you're watching the games, it's not hard to diagnose what the problem is. He is getting almost no open and almost no easy looks, which is to say he's making three-pointers that a lot of times are contested, which is to say, even though he's only, you know, only in scare quotes, shooting 39.5% on his threes at 7.6 per game. He's an elite shooter. He plays in a lot of ways like Tyler Hall at Montana State, um, except, you know, Tyler Hall averaged over 20 points a game as a freshman, slightly different context, but their games are similar and they are explosive shooters who, if they can get open looks, they're the kind of guys who can score 15 points in eight possessions. Uh, the third bright spot for us at an individual level is Jared Rodriguez, another freshman. He's forward. He's averaging 11.6 points per game in conference, 
6.6 rebounds per game, shooting 44% from the field and 44% from three. Now, I would stress his threes in a positive sense. He shoots only open threes. He doesn't shoot a ton of them. They're almost always in catch-and-shoot situations. But I wouldn't, I'd want to make sure people don't presume Jared Rodriguez is an elite shooter at this point based off shooting 44% from threes. Mostly it's because he doesn't shoot that many, but in a positive sense, he's taken only good threes. Now, in terms of his play, he's six foot eight. He looks most comfortable facing up the basket and putting the ball on the floor, playing like a wing. Uh, Verlin puts him in the post sometimes, and he can be okay in the post, and it'll be important for his development to have a post game. But at this point, if he doesn't catch the ball right next to the lowest block or right outside the restricted area, he needs to not be posting. When he catches it that close to the hoop, he can score. When he doesn't catch it that close to the hoop because he isn't that strong relative to posts who sometimes match up with him, he isn't able to bully his way for easy shots. So his post shots, when he's not real close to the hoop, they're just contested tough shots. I hope he doesn't take take that many. He doesn't only play in the post. I think he looks most promising when he plays from the wing or the high post, as where in the high post, he can both put the ball on the floor, and he's a at least serviceable passer, and again, he's a freshman. Now, in a more macro sense of what the team needs to do to improve this year and to be good next year, I'm not going to go over defense that much. I think it's just clear they have to not be wretched. Um, it's not clear how much of their defensive struggles are being young and how much of their defensive struggles are we don't have a bunch of 6'8", power 5 level athletes on the team. Um, I don't think we have the kind of athletes like the University of Montana has to play defense quite like they do, which is why I'm going to make this an offensive-centric critique because I really do think the path for this team to being better is having a top 3-4 to four offense. And the very first thing I see that just jumps off the screen or jumps off the court if you're in person when you're watching Idaho play is our point guard play. Now, I'm, j- I'm not trying to obsess about the point guard position um, because a lot of times people who comment on basketball or write about basketball, they can kind of fetishize positional distinctions. And the evolution of basketball right now is to move more towards positionless, positionless playing, which is to say everyone on the floor can dribble. Everyone on the floor can pass. Everyone on the floor is a serviceable shooter, at least. So in some ways, positional distinctions are, in a macro sense, in basketball slowly evaporating. But there are specific functions people tend to mean when they say point guard play. When I say point guard play, I mean the ability to speed up an offense or slow the offensive offense down and run sets and have that happen from the player perspective, not from the coach losing his voice screaming on the sidelines. We have struggled with that aspect of the game. We have struggled with initiating the offense without getting early turnovers. We have also struggled with drives to the basket, creating assist opportunities via drive and kicks, which I already referenced. We are the second worst team in the league in terms of assists per game. Part of that has to do with the way half-court offense is generated, but part of that has to do with if you watch Idaho play, we do not get a lot of drive and kick opportunities. To me, in non-conference play, it was clear. Idaho had the worst point guard play in conference. We went with a 
point guard by committee for the most part, which may surprise people who, let's say, only watched games last year or haven't seen us that much this year because we haven't been great. Trayvon Allen was the guy who started the year off at point guard. But if you guys remember from you know back in the first couple of games, he really struggled. He shot one of his first 12 uh, from two-point range, and he shot you know 25% from three in non-conference. Um, Verlin moved him off the ball a ton, and we experimented with Markel Frazier playing some point, Geno West playing some point, um, Xavier Smith played some point too, and then Trayvon Allen played it a little bit. But in non-conference play, we consistently got bad play out of whoever was functioning as our point guard. Trayvon Allen has stabilized since the beginning of the year, and he's been on a pretty steady upward trajectory. To now in conference play, he has been our starting point guard for most of the time, which is a huge improvement from what we saw in non-conference play. I think the key for Idaho to being good in the next year is we need to have Trayvon Allen be able to move back to a wing position. And this is a hot take. I try not to live in the, in the world of, hey, coach, do this. I'm not with the team. I'm not there during practices. But if you watch the team, Xavier Smith, our sophomore transfer from Oregon State, is the only guard whose drives end with in-stride layups. He is clearly our fastest north-south guard. He is clearly one of our only guards who understands how to drive and drive not for the purpose of his own shot, though he will drive to get his own shot, but to drive for the purpose of creating a shot for another person. And the metric I have for that is in conference play, Xavier Smith is only averaging 12 minutes per game. In those 12 minutes per game, he's averaging 2.2 assists per game. Now that might not sound like a huge number, but if you give him, if you multiply that stat based off of him receiving starters minutes, Xavier Smith would be the number two or three player in terms of assists per game in conference. He's getting all the way to the rim when he drives, though sometimes he does generate charges, which is something he has to get better at. But he's also young. He played hardly at all at Oregon State. And because he did struggle in non-conference with turning the ball over, that's why he didn't run away with the position in the way I really wish he had. But he's also clearly our best defensive guard, and he's clearly our best guard at creating shots for other players. And for Idaho to have an elite offense, one, we need guys to get easier looks. One of the ways a guy like Cameron Tyson could get easier looks is if he had a point guard who could create opportunities for him. If Xavier Smith can develop the way I think he could, that's a way a guy like Cameron Tyson, who is not great at creating his own shot or not even very good at creating his own, creating his own shot right now, and he's still shooting 39.6% from three, that's how a guy like him gets more open threes and also, if he catches the ball off of a drive and kick situation, his defender is likely reacting, and it's easier then for a guy who's not as good a ball handler to get into the key because the defense is having to react, one, to movement away from the man they're guarding, and then two, having to react to the man they're guarding. Same is true for Jared Rodriguez. Jared Rodriguez looks by far the most comfortable when he's able to play a face-up game but he's also better at attacking the defense after it's collapsed and it's coming back to him. Those are the kind of situations that are tr created by drive and kick opportunities 
which is what a lot of people are talking about when they say a team has strong point guard play. You know, you look at Portland State, Holland Woods, who is shooting a wretched like 34% or so, he's towards the top in the conference in assists per game because he can get by his guy and create wide open three-point shots or open drives for his teammates. We have a guy on the roster who I think could do that, but he's gonna he needs to be given the type of leash that let's say Cameron Tyson has been given, or he's going to need to get the kind of leash to play and play through mistakes that Jared Rodriguez has been given. Now, I don't think Xavier Smith is the only key to this offense. Um, you know, Trayvon Allen has shown that he can put the ball on the floor. He's shown that he can score well in the mid-range. There's no rule that he can't put the ball on the floor and help look to create opportunities for others in addition to his pull-up game. It's just players who have a mid-range, mid-range centric game, they tend to not create that many opportunities for others in the same way they tend to not get to the free throw line. I will be floored if Trayvon Allen can keep shooting like he is, but I, I really hope he does. Another key for us having a better offense is if Allen can become a better three-point shooter. He's doing a lot better in conference on, on a lot fewer attempts. But that is, to me, the thing that is potentially holding Trayvon Allen back from being a first-team all-league performer. Whereas if he can hit threes, you know, suddenly he's got a scoring ceiling kind of like Vic Sanders. Now, I don't think he's ever going to be the same three-shooter as Vic Sanders. He doesn't have to be. But if he's going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer, you know, he either has to shoot 65% on his mid-range shots or he's got to be able to make a few threes. That's completely on the table as something that he can develop with. We also need, then this is just, there's no way around this. We need better defensive play from our posts. Scott Blakeney is doing as good a job as he can. He's not getting that much help from Smith Francisco. There's a good chance, you know, and this team is still adjusting to Nate Sherwood not playing. Uh, Nate Sherwood would have radically adjusted the way the Idaho front court looks. But, you know, Smith's Francisco, he had a game he fouled out this year in six minutes. He had a game he fouled out this year in ten minutes. He is just not ready to contribute. But he's our only guy other than Scott Blakeney. And Scott Blakeney is playing, I think, about as well as we could hope. But he's also struggled with injuries. The team needs to improve really to be good in every facet of the game. But I really do think we we potentially have an all-big sky player in Trayvon Allen. Next year, we potentially have an all-big sky guard in Cam Tyson. Maybe next year, definitely in two years, we have an all-big sky candidate in Jared Rodriguez. But this team, though we've had some individual strengths, a lot of our pieces have not worked together because we've had, like I said, struggles with point guard play. And we've also just been annihilated at the defensive end. And if we're, if we're going to be good, we can't be bottom of the conference in defense. And then we also can't be mid-level, mid-to-bottom-tier offense. We have to have a top-four offense. And we have a path to a top-four offense. We just need to see better point guard play, which will allow for guys like Trayvon Allen to get better looks. Guys like Cam Tyson to get better looks. Guys like Rayquandis Mitchell and Jared Rodriguez to get better looks. Now, transitioning from the macro back to the micro, we do have a game coming up. We play the University of Montana at home in Cowan Spectrum on January 19th. The last time we played University of Montana, it was in Moscow. We won 79-77 to in overtime on a Nate Sherwood tip-in at the buzzer. 
And that was University of Montana's last loss in 2017-2018 until the NCAA tournament. The Grizzlies finished 16-2 in conference last year, 26-8 overall, earned a 14th seed in the NCAA tournament, and lost to eventual national runner-up Michigan in the first round, but they looked respectable doing it. They shot an atrocious 32% from the field against the Wolverines, and they still only lost by 14. The University of Montana has athletes. That's how they can compete with teams like Michigan. And this year, the Grizzlies return essentially everyone from last year's roster. As of this recording, Montana's 4-2 and two in Big Sky play, which puts them at third in conference, 11-6 and six overall. They had two ugly losses, by their standards, two ugly losses, at home to Portland State in overtime and at Eastern Washington. And then they turned around and absolutely throttled University of Northern Colorado, the number one team in conference conference record-wise right now. They stomped them on their home floor, winning by 24 points. The Grizzlies right now were the number two scoring offense in the conference at 82.5 points a game, and they don't play a fast pace, which means they're just good at executing on the offensive end. They pair that number two scoring offense with the number two scoring defense in conference, where they give up 70.7 points per game, giving them a league best scoring margin in conference play of plus 11.8 per game. They're the best shooting team from the field at 51%. They have the best field goal percentage defense in the conference at 41.5% allowed. They are the best three-point shooting team in the league at 38.2%, but a huge asterisk next to that. This is a team with, of steady shooters. They do not have a single elite shooter who has the ability to go off and hit like six threes a game. You know, we have a guy like that in Cam Tyson. Montana State has a guy like that in Tyler Hall. Montana does not have a player like that. They have a bunch of steady guys who can make between one and two, maybe three threes in, on a good game. But as a team, they're shooting 38.2% from behind the arc. That's nothing but good. They also have the second best three-point percentage defense in the league. They allow teams to shoot 32.5% from behind the arc against them. Montana has the second best rebounding margin in conference at plus 5.7. And they have the third best turnover margin in the conference, which all of that is to say there's a reason the Grizzlies were the number one team in both the media and coaches' preseason polls. And even though they have a couple losses, that most Grizzly fans probably think are flukes. I, I agree they were fluke. This team is the class of the conference. This team is the best hope for the Big Sky to win an NCAA tournament game. They play an inside-outside offensive game led by senior forward Jamar Coe. He's their center. He averages 16.7 points per game on only 10 shots attempted per game. He shoots 59% from the field and averages 8.7 rebounds per game. He is absolutely not a threat from behind the arc, but he is likely a first-team All-Big Sky player. At worst, he's an all, a second-team All-Big Sky player. And to me, there isn't really a question. Jamarco has the best back-to-the-basket game in the league. Now, he's a more traditional post. He does not face up like, let's say, Jared Rodriguez can and put the ball on the floor, but he's big. He's going to have about 30 pounds on Scott Blakeney. 
he's much stronger than Jared Rodriguez. And Jamarco is the guy Montana is likely going to try to run their offense through against Idaho. Now, the Grizzlies have a two-headed monster. Uh, they have a senior guard. His name is Ahmad Rory. He was the preseason Big Sky Player of the Year. He was first-team All-Big Sky last year. He's averaging 17 points a game in conference, shooting 48% from the field, 35% from behind the arc. He has a game that is quite similar to Trayvon Allen's in that it's mid-range centric. He can put the ball on the floor, though he doesn't get to the all the way to the rim that often. He's a solid three-point shooter, but he's a he's not an elite three-point shooter. He's good to make about two per game. But he's their he's really their second option in some ways because the team does try to go inside first. That's a lot for, for Idaho to try to match up with, but that's not the end of the Montana weapons. In a lot of ways, Montana might have the best starting lineup in the league. Uh, Weber State is the other team that I'd say is in the running for it. They have four strong offensive players in their starting lineup. The other two are senior guard Mike Loguine. He was preseason All-Big Sky this year as well. He was last year's defensive player of the year. He's averaging 13 points a game shooting 40% from behind the arc, but he doesn't shoot that much from behind the arc. He makes, on average, about 1-3 a game. And they also have junior wing Saeed Pritchett. He scores from essentially everywhere. He was last week's Big Sky Player of the Week after a huge game against Northern Colorado. On the year in conference, he's averaging 13.8 points a game on 59% from the field. Now, Pritchett is similar to Rory in that he doesn't get to the foul line that much. But he, he really can score from wherever. He scores putting the ball on the floor. He scores as a cutter and a slasher. And he's a serviceable shooter. That's going to be... Those four are a very tough matchup for Idaho. One, because they have Jamar Cohn in the post and also Syed Pridget at the forward positions, who I think it's, if they're playing well... Idaho could have foul trouble. That's one of that's been one of our struggles defensively is we do not have depth at the center or forward positions, and teams can get us in foul trouble. Montana has the horses to beat us there. Now the path to beating Montana, and this is gonna sound just profoundly simple, is we have to hit shots and we have to hit a lot of them, especially early. This Montana team does not play a fast pace. They have a they have four very good players, but none of their players are explosive scorers. Whereas I'm going to contrast the type of score they have with, let's say, Vic Sanders last year. Vic Sanders averaged around 19 points a game last year, but because of how he could shoot and get to the free throw line, it was on the table that Vic Sanders could score 30 or more if he played well. None of the Montana players, for the most part, are that type of player. Ahmad Rory is averaging 17 points a game, which, again, that, that's great. We would love to have another guy on our team average 17 points a game. But he's the guy who is more likely to score somewhere between 14 and 20 points a game. He's not a guy who hits a ton of threes and, let's say, scores 30. Jamar Ako is averaging 17 points a game, and he's similar because he doesn't hit from three. and He's not a great free-throw shooter. It's hard for him to have, let's say, a 28-point game. So when Montana gets behind, that is when they struggle. They're a steady team. They're not a team that is going to hit you know, 23s against us. In their loss against Portland State, Montana shot 20% from three. 
They also allowed Portland State. To, they also shot 39% from the field overall against Portland State, which is why they lost and why I said it was a fluke. They just played awful and Portland State won in overtime. In the loss at Eastern Washington, Montana shot 21% from the three and allowed Eastern to hit 48% from the field and over 50% from the three. Those are the only teams who've had success against Montana in conference this year, which means you have to bring your best game against Montana or you're likely going to lose, and it's likely going to be a relatively suffocating experience. They, they don't have a record this year of throttling Big Sky teams other than Northern Colorado, but in the games they've won, even though the difference may have only been 12 or 14 points, which is still sizable, the felt difference because of their pace is actually closer to what we would think of as like a 25-point gap because Montana plays good defense. So if you get behind against them, it is very tough to come back. But because they do not have elite shooters, if Montana gets behind, that's when they start to make mistakes. It's when they start to force shots. And that's the only path to victory other teams have seen against Montana. Teams have also tried to pack the defense in against Jamar Ako because Ako is a very good back-to-basket player and make the wings beat them mostly from three. And, you know, in the loss against Portland State and loss against Eastern Washington, Montana shot around 20% from three, three in each of those games. That is probably what Idaho is going to have to do to be able to come away with the win. The key matchups for me are first, Jamar Coe versus the entire Idaho front court. We're likely going to pack it in. And if Jamar Coe catches it down low, he is likely going to be doubled. Can he draw fouls against our defense or can he kick it out and have people hit shots? That's something that is going to determine how Idaho does. Now, now Idaho has a pretty bad defense overall, but Montana to me, isn't that hard to scheme against. If Jamarco is getting easy shots, they are tough to beat in the two losses. Ako also had his two worst conference games. So how our entire front court handles him in the post, will likely be a huge deciding factor for us. Another key matchup is going to be the point guard play of Trayvon Allen against the point guard play of Ahmad Rory. Both of them have quite similar games. They're mid-range centric. Trayvon's been a bit more efficient from the field this year where, like you know, went over earlier, he's shooting 56% on a lot of mid-range shots. That's incredible. But Rory, who made all big sky last year, is a stronger driver than Allen is. And he can get all the way to the rim at times. And he also, it's not like he's shooting poorly from the field. He's shooting 48%, which is closer to what I expect Allen to finish at. How that point guard matchup goes could dictate um, whether Idaho can stay closer, pull out on top. Because if Jamar Coe is not leading the way, the guy who's led the way for Montana has been persistently Ahmad Rory. Question that, that I have uh, in terms of how Montana plays is, Who's going to guard Trayvon Allen, who will likely be the number one guy they want to stop? Um, I believe it's going to be a combination of senior guard slash wing Bobby Moorhead. He's their fifth starter. He isn't much of an offensive player. He mostly shoots only catch-and-shoot threes, uh, but he's considered one of, the, one of the top wing defenders in the league. He was the guy who spent a lot of time guarding Jordan Davis against Northern Colorado and helped force Jordan Davis into his worst scoring game of the year. Scored, Jordan Davis finally scored less than 20 in a game. Now, Davis didn't have an awful game by any means, um, but Montana has people on the wing who can guard other wings and guards. 
Um, Mike Loguine, who we mentioned earlier, he was last year's defensive player of the year. He will likely spend some time guarding Trayvon Allen, or he may be assigned to shut down Cameron Tyson. And Ogine is a guy who, in theory, could shut down Cam Tyson because if Cam Tyson isn't getting shots created for him, it's tough for him to get good looks. Ahmad Rory, a, he's a transfer from University of Oregon. He will likely spend some time on Allen. Um, the way Montana cycles through trying to shut down our number one option is something I think it'll be kind of interesting to look at and how Trayvon plays will likely matter in whether we can stay competitive. Another big factor is going to be depth. Montana has four very good starters, but the drop-off from their starters to their bench is pretty stark. They have essentially one post-slash-forward total who plays any minutes at all. Uh, his name is Donovan Dorsey. He's a drop-down from the University of Washington. He's a good athlete. He can hit corner threes, usually in wide-open catch-and-shoot situations. But he hasn't made the splash a lot of Grizzly fans thought he would make coming in this year. Part of that is he had two hip surgeries last year. He's returning on a medical redshirt. He is still getting into shape. We likely haven't seen the best of Donovan Dorsey, but he has not been a huge contributor so far, and he's really their only post off the bench. They have two guards who come off the bench. Uh, Timmy Falls, who's a sophomore who really he just hasn't done that much this year in the University of Montana media. Um, he's been a bit of an enigma because he's a solid driver, strong passer, but he's really not developed the way people thought he would after his freshman year. The guard who has any sort of impact off the bench, his name's Kendall Manuel. He's an Oregon State dropdown, which is the same school that Xavier Smith went to. He averages nine points a game off the bench, and he's really the only bench scoring presence they have, which is another key for Idaho being competitive against Montana is we will need one of their top one or two of their top players to get into foul trouble. And the best candidates for us are Michael Ogine, the returning defensive player of the year in conference. He at times this year has had trouble in drawing early fouls. And Jamar Coe, who in their two losses, he had foul trouble in both those games as well. If we can get foul trouble from one or two of those guys, Montana does not have a replacement off the bench that they can expect to contribute anywhere near like those guys. So in contrasting Idaho, um, though Trayvon Allen and Cameron Tyson are by far our best scores, we have seen times where let's say Raekwondis Mitchell will come off the bench for Cameron Tyson and Raekwondis Mitchell is showing that he is a much better shooter than he showed during non-conference play. We've had multiple games where Raekwondis Mitchell comes off the bench and hits multiple catch-and-shoot threes, where for moments he can contribute like Cameron Tyson has. Montana doesn't really have that same kind of dynamic. For us to win, we need to make their bench contribute in a way they have mostly shown they can't this year. Um, Kendall Manuel's had really one big game. He's starting to play a little bit more, but he hasn't proven that he can regularly, regularly contribute. We need to make their bench play against us. We need a code to get in foul trouble. We will absolutely have to shoot well, and we're going to need big games from a combination of Trayvon Allen, Cameron Tyson, and absolutely a third. Jared Rodriguez is the first name that jumps out to me, but he does not have to be the only one. Um, if Jamarco is going to get in foul trouble, we likely need Scott Blakeney to get points off of putbacks and to get points off of dump-off passes. He's a guy who's shown the ability to score double figures. Raekwondis Mitchell's had a few games where he's hit multiple threes. He's a guy who can step up. 
Xavier Smith is a guy who I already spent some time talking about. He's been playing for a little bit more as the conference season has grown. He's a guy who can have, who might be able to be our third guy. But if we don't get big games from at least three players, the University of Montana is the class of the big sky. There's a reason they were picked number one preseason coaches poll and preseason media poll. There's a reason, even though they have lost two games they shouldn't have lost, that I think anyone should who's guessing who will win the Big Sky Tournament, the only team to bet on right now is University of Montana. If we don't get big games from multiple guys, it could be a long night. I'm hoping, of course, that we start to see some consistency from, from us, specifically the offensive end we haven't seen. But University of Montana is in some ways a uniquely bad matchup which is to say I'm doing an awful job of selling you guys on going to the game. But I think, really, people should watch this game so they can see what a very good Big Sky team looks like. It is easy when you see Idaho not play that well to want to kind of dump on the conference, which is not to say that listeners of this podcast do, but in the world of Idaho sport, Idaho Vandal media, let's say in social media, let's say the All Vandals Forum, it is quite easy to for people to get negative and dunk on the conference. Montana's a good basketball team. And if you like to watch good basketball teams, you should come out to watch this game or you should check it out on Pluto TV. Saturday, January 19th at 7 in Moscow. I want to thank everyone for downloading this week's podcast. You're going to see from here on out that during basketball season, we have a much more steady once per week output. I had some personal difficulties in being able to get podcasts recorded. That's been resolved. And also now that we're in the conference schedule, it's a lot easier to project when we have games that really Idaho will play on Thursday, Saturday, and sometimes Mondays. That schedule has changed because Northern Colorado no longer has a travel partner now that North Dakota is out of the conference. But that's a minor detail. Anyway, you guys can now likely expect you'll get a basketball podcast every week where it has the same rhythm as football, where we go over what happened, the week before, and then we preview what's going to happen throughout this week. If you are interested in further knowing about the Big Sky Conference or Idaho, I am going to highly recommend you guys check out my Big Sky deep dive rankings that I publish for Montana Mint every two weeks. The website is montana-mint.com. I put those out every two weeks. I go over every single theme. So if you are the type of person who's interested in Idaho basketball, but it's also easier for you to get into games. If you know the names of the other players, if you know the tendencies of the team, if you know some stats, all of those are included in the Big Sky Deep Dive that I publish every two weeks. But again, you should expect regular basketball content from this point forward. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for downloading. And as always, go Vandals.